There we go. Well, again, good morning, and again, I just want to say just another thank you for uh, sending our students to the winter retreat. Um, continue to pray for them. As Amy shared, you know, they, they go to school in a dark world, and uh, it's confusing, right? It, as you heard from each student, like, it's a reminder that their identity is in Christ and not what the world says. Um, so continue praying for them. Uh, continue lifting them before the Lord, interceding on their behalf, and, and not just ours, but this generation, um, you know, uh, is uh, a confusing time to be growing up and developing what you believe. Yeah. This generation needs grace and truth more than ever. Um, and I think this was not, this is just coming out, so... Yeah, I think what we're seeing at Asbury and around the world at different colleges, we're seeing students, this generation, that are going, I'm tired of the lies, I'm tired of the confusion, I want what's true. I want to know what's true. Right? And they're coming before God, a holy God, and going, you are true, and I, what am I? Right? Um, the world, our, our students need grace and truth. They need mentors, like Amy said. They need mentors and disciples uh, they need people that will disciple them. So continue to pray for them. Continue to pray that the Lord would raise up workers for the harvest, mentors and disciple makers from his church here in Coshocton, uh, from among us, but from the body of Christ here. As with any spiritual retreat, the most difficult part is coming back. <laughs> yeah, I see my students all shaking their heads. Yes, the most difficult part about a retreat is coming back, having to re-enter what you escaped from. And as our students are, are taking what they learned from the retreat, uh, the truths that were instilled into their minds and into their hearts, and having to apply those truths and therefore live out those truths, they are going to look different. They're going to act different. And that's going to make them stand out, which isn't always comfortable. Which brings us to our message this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to have you open them to Philippians. We're going to get back into Philippians chapter 3. If you don't have your own Bible with you, I encourage you to, to find one. They're in the chairs around the, the room here. But uh, open them to Philippians 3 where we will read together. But before we do, let's, let's just pray over this time. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just, we praise you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. For you alone are worthy of such praise. We thank you for the reports from our students and how you moved in their lives, Lord, and how you are bringing them back to you. We thank you for what we're seeing around the nation, Lord, uh, at these different colleges, uh, this revival and this, this turning away from self and turning towards you, Lord. Um, and, and even if there is some, there are some that are doing so just to be part of it and not actually authentic, Lord, we pray for them too. Lord, we pray that you would continue to be glorified, that your name be lifted high in this generation. Lord, as we have your word open, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us, that you would illuminate the words 
from your word into our hearts, into our minds, and allow us to understand what you have for us this morning. Lord, if there be anything in me that would, would hinder what you want to say, Lord, I surrender that. And just ask that you, Lord Jesus, would speak. So Lord, give us ears to hear what you would have to say. Allow us to release any distractions, any uh, concerns, any anxieties that we might have brought in this morning. Allow us to lay them down before you so that we may just sit in your presence and hear what you have to say. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'll be reading out of my English Standard Bible, um, starting in verse 17. We'll, we'll finish chapter 3 this morning, so we'll be reading verses 17 to 21. You can follow along in your Bible. Paul says, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is God's word. Amen. Paul starts out this uh, continuation of where he left off with brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. This Again, this word brothers is that brethren word. It, it, it means brothers and sisters. It's, it's not just to the men. It's, it's to the body of Christ, those who believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior through repentance and faith. This is family language. It says, brethren, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. This is a compound word that means to join with me as a co-imitator. It's, it's joining with Paul in his imitation, which is, which is a vast difference than imitating Paul. Right? Because Paul is imitating Christ. Paul doesn't say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He says, no, join in my imitation as I imitate Christ. There's a difference. Right? You ever play the game telephone? Right? You line up in a line. You get like 30 students. It's usually a youth group game. That's where I've learned about telephone. But you line up in a line. And... It starts on one end, and you whisper some weird phrase that you've never heard of before. It doesn't make sense, and you whisper it into the first ear. And then that person then has to turn and whisper it to the next person, and to the next person, and the next person, all the way down the line. To where at the last part of the line, they have to say, this is what I heard, and it's never the same. <laughs> never. Right? It's kind of like that. When we choose to imitate another person imitating another person, we, we lose something right? Paul isn't saying to imitate him as he's imitating Christ. He's, he's saying, join in with me as a co-imitator, as I imitate Christ, which means that the focus is on Christ, not Paul, as should ours be. Paul was an imitator of Christ. He modeled his life after Jesus in all that he said and did. Everything Paul said and did 
was modeled after Jesus. So this invitation is to join with Paul and imitate Christ the way he is. Meaning that we join together to look like Jesus, to speak like Jesus, to behave like Jesus in all areas of our life. Because the reality is Jesus didn't just act like Jesus on Sundays. Jesus didn't act like Jesus on Sunday only. It was his life. Every day of the week, every moment of every day of the week, he was Jesus. And as a follower of Christ, I'm to model my life after him. So every day of the week, every moment of every day, I'm to look like Jesus. I'm to speak like Jesus. I'm to talk like Jesus. I'm to love like Jesus in the same way because I'm imitating Christ. He says, family, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Keep your eyes on. This means to observe, to contemplate. And he says, we're to contemplate, we're to observe those who are walking according to the example that you have in us. So Paul's basically saying, hey, keep your eyes on, on those who are living this life out, Right? And I think it has a double meaning. Number one, we're, we're to be led by those who are living this lifestyle, but we're also, as a family, as a body, to hold one another accountable. So we are to keep our eyes on in observance, not in judgment necessarily, but we're to hold each brother and sister in Christ accountable to living our lives as a representative of Jesus. He continues in verse 18, and he explains why. He says, For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. This walk language that you hear literally means to live, our livelihood, uh, how we conduct our life. So, Yes, it says walk as enemies of, of the cross of Christ. And, and previously it says who walk according to the example. It, it's how we live, how we, how we go in, about our lives day in, day in, day out. How we conduct ourselves, even when nobody's looking. He's, he says to walk, uh, that they, these many, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. This we need to unpack because enemies of the cross of Christ is not the same thing as someone who is against the physical representation of the cross. This is not what it means to be an enemy of the cross of Christ. It, you know, if somebody doesn't wear a cross or, or isn't, is opposed to having the cross hung in a certain location, it's not that they're an enemy of the cross of Christ. What it means is this idea of the biblical truth of atonement that is found in Jesus' death on the cross. The truth that comes from Christ's sacrifice and the ongoing effect that this atonement has in our life as we walk in faith. These are the enemies of the cross of Christ who are walking that way. Well, so who are these enemies that Paul is talking about? There, there's three options among scholars um, that 
you know, we'll, we'll talk about. One most, most recently in the text was these Judaizers, these legalists of the day. We've talked about that before, how there were these Judaizers, these Jewish believers, those who were Jewish by, by ethnicity, by culture, but have, that believed that Jesus was the Messiah. What they were doing is they were saying that any non-Jewish person, any Gentile from any nation that was other than the Jewish nation, in order to become an actual believer, not only did they have to have repentance and faith in Jesus as the Lord and Messiah, but also had to also come under the authority of the law. They added on top of grace. Right? These were the Judaizers. They were the legalists of his day. So one option is that Paul is addressing these groups of people. The other uh, second option is the opposite of this option, which would I'm calling the liberalists of the day. That would be those who claim license in grace, right? Uh, this license that uh, all I have to do is say yes to Jesus, get my ticket to heaven, and because of his grace, I can live however I want to, right? That's the opposite of the Judaizers. It could be that Paul's addressing that group of people. And the third option could just be simply just non-believers that haven't placed their faith in Jesus at all. Whichever group specifically that Paul had in mind, Paul is clearly heartbroken over their choice. He says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears. There's a reality that uh, we can disciple someone, we can introduce them to Jesus, we can proclaim the gospel, and and they could look like they get it. And they're tracking and they're tracking, and then all of a sudden they disappear. And they don't come back. And they turn back to the life that they once had. And it breaks your heart. We know of such a one. In this family, it breaks your heart. Paul says, For many of whom I have told you, and now even tell you with tears, with a broken heart, walk their lives. Again, walk means that they're living their lives as an enemy of the cross of Christ. They're not living the way that those who have been redeemed are supposed to live. And he has this to say about that group of people, that that group that are walking, living their lives as an enemy of the cross of Christ. He says, their end is destruction. Verse 19. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. Their end literally means termination, the time at which a thing ceases to be any longer. Termination. Their end, by which a thing is finished. He says, when that day comes, when their, when their earthly life is over, their end is destruction. And this word literally means utter 
destruction, which consists of eternal misery in hell. That's, li- that's the literal definition of this word. Eternal misery in hell. Utter destruction. It says their end is utter destruction. So they have minds set on earthly things. Their minds set on literally means that they seek, they strive for, they, they've determined, they've made the, the, the mental determination on earthly things. They've set their mind on existing here on earth, looking like the world, what the world has pleasure in, I will too. Right? This is what Paul is addressing. He says, these are the ones who their end is destruction, who have made up their mind that that's how they're going to live. When we set our minds on earthly things, when we've set our minds to this earth, our earthly citizenship, we, my walk begins to look like this. Whatever feels right to me in the moment whatever is pleasing to my appetite, whatever shameful act I can boast in with my buddies. That's what it looks like to set my mind on what the world says. I start living this way, right? I start start living out my life. Even Even if I know Christ is my Lord and Savior, I can do this too, where I've set my mind that I'm going to live worldly. Right? We call that carnal Christians. Right? who've been reborn based on what Scripture says, but are living worldly in all they say, do, and behave. It says their end is destruction. Paul, addressing a different church in Galatians, writes it this way, Galatians 5, 19-21, he writes very similar language, he calls this uh, the works of or the desires of the flesh. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. To a different church, he, he, he lists it out. He says, listen, if you're living your life this way, you are an enemy to the cross of Christ. Now, let's be clear. There is a difference between those who live ongoingly in these sins And someone who is born again, who falls from time to time to sin. There's a difference. Those who, in their sin, repent and turn back to God is not someone who's actively living and choosing the lifestyle of which Paul just read about. There's a difference between what it means to walk this way and someone who's walking this way and stumbles and trips and falls. There's a difference. So those who are walking with the Lord and stumble, trip, and fall, 
the statement that they will not inherit the kingdom of God would not apply to them. Right? There's consequences for that sin. There's consequences for that life. It's those who are living, decidingly to live out that sinful lifestyle. And there's a difference. Repentance is necessary for both situations, by the way. But those who have been born again, and even those who haven't, in repentance and faith, there's grace to be redeemed and renewed as we surrender. Whether it's the life I was walking with Christ and I sinned, through my repentance and faith, I'm restored by grace. I'm walking worldly by making my mind up that that's how I'm going to live, and I come to the end of myself in my sin and realize that I need a Savior, and I repent and am saved. I'm restored by grace, right? So either way, repentance is the answer, and thankful for God's grace and mercy. But those who don't, those who choose to live this way, walk this way, Paul's pretty strong in his language to say that their end is utter destruction. They've chosen to set their mind on earthly things and and allow their appetites to dictate their life. He says those who live that way are enemies of the cross of Christ. Immediately, in verse 20 through 21, he had transitions. He, it's, it's juxtaposing that reality to what he's getting ready to say. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Our citizenship is in heaven. Paul immediately compares this earthly reality, this earthly mindset, this earthly citizenship with our heavenly citizenship. And we have to remember how this is going to be received. Remember, Paul is writing to the Philippian church, right? Which is in Philippi, Greece. So ethnically speaking, the people that he's writing to are Greek, ethnically. Legally, they're Roman citizens, So, ethnically, they're a Greek person, except for maybe the the Roman jailer and, and some of the Romans that were settled in that area. Primarily Greek, but legally Roman. That's who Paul's writing to. What was happening is that instead of these Greek believers continuing to live, as, uh, to live as Greek citizens or even, for that matter, to live in this heavenly citizenship, instead, they changed their citizenship and all of their loyalties to Rome, where Caesar was the law, where Caesar was the government. But not only that, only Caesar was Lord and Savior. To say otherwise meant death. And so Paul's writing to this church where they're being influenced by the culture around them, pressing in on them to live a certain way. Does that sound familiar? We heard it through our students' testimonies this morning. 
the world around us will push in and confuse us. Right? Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. As citizens of heaven, we await a savior, but not the savior in the form of laws or government or a president. We await the only Lord and Savior of the world, Jesus Christ himself. The one who humbled himself, we read this a few weeks ago, who humbled himself in chapter 2 in this very letter, the Savior who humbled himself by becoming a man, who humbled himself to death on a cross, taking the punishment of our sin on his shoulders and carrying it to the grave in his death. In his resurrection, he broke the bondage of sin. Ascending to heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit to indwell all those who will surrender their life in repentance and faith to Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. This is what it means to be a citizen of heaven. Paul says, don't look like the world. Don't trust in this earthly citizenship. You are a heavenly citizen. Live that way. He says, and as we wait his return, live this way. Don't miss it in in this passage. Don't miss this. There's a promise. We await a Savior. Jesus will return as king. Jesus is coming back. His return is imminent in the sense that it could be at any time. We see that in Matthew 24, 42 to 44, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, Revelation 16, 15. We, he's going to come like a thief in the night. His return is imminent. We don't know the day or the hour. It could be any moment. His return is going to be personal, John 14, 3. His return will be visible to the whole world, Matthew 24, Luke 21, Revelation 1. His return will be audible to the whole world, 1 Thessalonians 4. He will come to set up his millennial reign on earth, Revelation 20. It is then when we receive this transformed body when we will be glorified when he returns or calls us home. And it's by the power of Christ alone where he alone will transform our lowly body to be like his. He says, by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. Jesus alone has the power to subdue all things. What does that mean? Literally means to arrange under, to make subordinate. (laughs) So what does that mean for us? That means only Jesus can make your anxiety subdued. Only Jesus can take the fear and put it under his feet. Only Jesus can take the depression and subdue it. Fill in the blank. Only Jesus can take the fleshly desires of my body and bring them under submission to himself. 
Only Jesus can do that. With man, this is impossible. That's why trying harder to overcome my sin doesn't work. That's why trying to be a better Christian on my own strength doesn't do anything. I need the power of Christ to subdue it. And the only way to do that is through submission. To surrender my life daily, moment by moment, to the one who has the power to subdue it. Now, does that mean there's no work on my point to try to subdue things? No. I heard a great podcast this week. Um, and I can't remember which one it was, but it was on grace. And we often hear, you know, grace is free, but it's not cheap. You heard that one before? Grace is free, but it's not cheap. I hope I'm not going to mess this up. Grace is not earned, but it isn't effortless. Grace isn't earned, but it's not effortless. Which means that, yes, grace is received. It's a free gift to me, and, uh, and I can't earn it. But in that grace, God has given me things to work out through his power. There's work to do in that grace. A life that I'm supposed to live in obedience. That's work. That's effort. And so I'm not trying to earn that grace by the way I live. I'm not trying to look the part. It's by God's grace that I'm able to look that way and work that way. Right? It's transformation. It's not behavior modification. So... At this point in time, you're probably wondering, and it's driving you crazy why I got this box of markers up here. I was in the store the other day, um, a while back, and we were in the art supply area and came across this box of markers. And if you can't read it from there, it says, Colors of the World. There's 24 markers in here, and they're all, like, basically the idea is they're skin tones, Right? From browns to whites to pinks to different skin tones. But on the front of the box it says, Colors of the World. According to Crayola, this is what the world looks like. Okay? Follow me. Every, every one of these things always has a loophole, right? Always has something that doesn't quite work out. But just, just go with me. This is what the world looks like. This is what the world tells you you're supposed to look like. This is what the world tells our students they're supposed to look like in order to fit in. But the Bible, the truth of the gospel says that you're not to look like this. That you're not to look this way. That you're supposed to stand out as a highlighter among these drab colors. You're supposed to be a highlighter in this world. So that when these colors of the world look at this highlighter, they go, you don't fit in here. You're supposed to stand out. We are supposed to stand out. But here's the catch. In the past, these are going to roll everywhere. In the past, people have received that message. And what they'll do 
is they'll take the outside shell of this and slip it on this marker so that they don't stand out or so that they they fit in with a Christian crowd when they're there here on Sunday they'll slide on this highlighter costume and then quickly take it off Monday through Friday Or the opposite thing will happen where the filling of this highlighter actually fills this marker through being born again. But because of the world's drawing, uh, the, the world's, because of our flesh, we hide that highlighter. And we look like the world. We don't like standing out. It's uncomfortable for some of us. And so we live like the world, but we're transformed on the inside. Our filling is the highlighter. We call that living a carnal life. Paul is saying, you're not to do either one of those things. You're to stand out and live this citizenship as a light among the darkness. Your life should be different. It should look different. It should make the people around you go, why are you so weird? Why are you so different? Guess what? Those are gospel opportunities. Those are opportunities for us to go, well, what makes you think I'm so weird? And it leads to conversation. It allows you to be the minister. They don't need to come here to hear me preach. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You have the power of Christ living in you as you're surrendered to witness through the surrendering of the Holy Spirit to that person. That's what this age is. We're in the new covenant. We are the body of Christ. And the Holy Spirit enables us in moments to witness. But it takes willing vessels to be both transformed on the inside and walking on the outside. To be this highlighter. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you are called to stand out. That's what it means to follow Christ. You're to stand out. Who knows this any better than Peter? Right? Jesus, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Peter's following at a distance, and they're like, hey, you're with that guy, aren't you? He's like, no, I'm not with him, right? Like, there's a cost to stand out and stand with Jesus. So I have a question for each of you, or a couple of them. Are you living your life in a way that makes you stand out from the world around you? Are you the highlighter in the friends that you have, in the workplace, in the school zone? Every interaction, are you willing to look different? Do you stick out like a sore thumb? This is what Paul is stressing to the Philippians, and it's a radical message. It would have been extremely radical for these Philippians to live this way, by the way because it meant life or death for them. At some point in time after Paul 
Christians began being persecuted to the point of death for claiming no other Lord and Savior than Jesus Christ. As they stood out for truth. Well, you might say, well, well, pastor, if I did that, I'd lose all my buddies at work. I'd lose all my friends at school. I might even lose some family members. And I'm going to stick out like a sore thumb, and I really don't like people looking at me. I don't really like the attention that I get. Yeah, I know. But there's a cost to following Jesus. Grace is free, but it's not cheap. You are called. If you are here today and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you struggle with these passions, you're invited and you're called to live a holy life, to stand out among the world. So if you're here today and, and, and you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, but you're like, yeah, I, I'm living my life this way. I, I, I confess that. The invitation is to surrender again. To surrender to Jesus again this morning. The reality, the truth is that each of us need to live our lives in constant surrender. Through repentance in Jesus. Did you know, by the way, that like, The moment you surrendered your life in repentance and faith is not the only time you need to repent. Like, we all sin. Paul was very clear about this. Until Christ comes home or, or, or takes us home, comes back or takes us home, we live in this body of sin. We're going to sin. We're all on a journey of becoming more and more like Christ, and the goal as we live that out is to be less sinful but the, the only time we're going to live without sin is when we're glorified. And so, when we sin, we must repent. We must surrender again. So if you're here this morning, and that's true, there's an invitation. Surrender in repentance. If you struggle with anything from the list that I read in Galatians, any of those things. Only Jesus can subdue those desires. Only Jesus can conquer those. And if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior in this way, you're going to continue to struggle with those passions, which, Paul's very clear, leads to destruction. Jesus invites us in his very first message in Mark the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Therefore, repent and believe. That's the invitation, to repent and believe. So we're going to go to a time of prayer. Uh, the altar is open. If you need to repent and believe, the altar is open. Uh, I'm going to just put on my guitar and play a little, some chords just to fill some of the blank space in the air. But if you, if anything this morning convicted you in the spirit, now's the time. Why wait? Lord, we just uh, come before you in a time of prayer.
Um, Lord, you are the one that works all things for your good. Lord, we confess that the world does seep in, the world does distract, the world does convince us from time to time that the world's ways are better. Lord, we, we say, forgive us. We ask, Lord, that you would redeem us again, that you would clean us. Lord, your word says that if we confess with our mouth, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, Lord, we come before you in this time and just ask, Lord, that by your spirit, you would move in us in a way that we would do just that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.